Welcome to Wisdom Exchange TV, where we interview women leaders internationally who have had a social impact in their communities and beyond. Hello, I'm Suzanne F. Stevens, Conscious Contribution Cultivator for the Yumi We Social Impact Group, and your host. In each episode, we'll provide actionable, conscious contribution insights to create a social impact to empower you, your organization, and your community. Lots of learning and inspiration, all to make your contribution count. We are live today, the first time we've decided to go live on Facebook, YouTube, and AirMeet. So welcome to those of you who are joining us live, and we appreciate you being here. And to watch the recording in future and have future engagement with our guests today, post questions on our guests' exclusive wisdomexchangetv.com page. On Wisdom Exchange TV, you'll also find over a hundred interviews with women internationally leading social impact. So let's dive in. Welcome to our guest, Amy Tung, the founder of I Am Love Project. That just, oh, love that name. In, she's from Winnipeg, Canada. Amy Tung is the recipient of the Manitoba 150 Medal, selected as 2018 CBC Manitoba Future 40. Named a Winnipeg Blue Bombers Community Hero, uh, also a finalist for the Future Leaders of Manitoba 2019. Let's just say she's got the market on Manitoba, and this show is to bring her across Canada and internationally. The I Am Love Project started in 2018. In, in such a short time, the Julie Social Business has been changing the lives of women facing barriers to employment by bringing them back into the workforce and empowering them to grow, thrive, and contribute to the community. The project consciously sources materials and employs designers and artisans to provide employment and income opportunities to those in transition periods in their lives like those struggling with their mental health or addiction, those who are disabled or those willing and able to work. I give a special welcome to Amy and the incredible work you've been doing. Congratulations. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is quite exciting. So what was the catalyst for you to start I Am Love Project? Well, I guess from, I think from speaking to different people, I think the big part of it is finding that purpose in our life. And for me, it's based on my live, my lived experience. Like I, I, I've been there before I've struggled my own mental health. And especially I know what it's like to feel like I'm falling the bottom of the cracks and not having the support or, or the love, right. That really helped me want to pursue something different. And obviously, there's much more to that. But that was one of it. And just seeing post COVID, a lot of people are are out of jobs, right? Like, look at the hospitality industry, the, the, the hotels, who's cleaning the hotels room now, we're all laid off. And so it's really supporting the community in that way, by providing employment, it doesn't have to be a full time job, it can be a part time job, or even a supplementary income to what you're making right now. So let's dive a little deeper, because yeah. we're getting a little bit of that story. And I'm sure the rest of the story will come come out because I think it's an important one. But what was the reason for selecting women in transition as your beneficiaries? I think with any type of business, it was important um, to figure out a niche. 
who is it that you want to serve without going too, too broad? You can't cater to everyone, um, even with our jewelry. Why haven't we started with men's and what's that target market? Because if you can't really fine tune that niche, then it becomes very scattered. And that's how it kind of began in the the beginning of the I Am Love project. I'm like, okay, well, maybe we can do men's bracelet or maybe we can do women's bracelet in four different sizes so we can make more sales. But really, honestly, it was way too much work and figuring out the niche and doing like the research on that was very, very helpful. So, and I agree with you, you know, having, having a niche is always a fabulous thing to have in a business environment. But what drew you to women from a personal perspective? Why was it women that you felt needed the attention more than children, more than men, more than a particular culture? Is there any reason for that? Well, I'm a lady myself, my lived experience, I've been there firsthand recognize what it's like to be in a corporate world and trying to climb that ladder. Also a woman of a disability and a visible minority, right? So I, I want to be able to support and empower and uplift those who need that additional income just to get by, right? I'm a single mom and I know I can use that extra $300 for extracurricular activities, even like summer camps right now, they're about like $200 for a week. How is an average household gonna afford that? Yeah, it, it, absolutely. So people will work full-time for you, but they also will work part-time to supplement their incomes. You mainly do part-time or on contract basis. Again, you have to be willing, and there's that self-determination piece that comes into play, right? If you're wanting to that, we will help you build and establish that. So a lot of women that really are the makers, we just finished a project with an Indigenous lady who made 50 hoop earrings, beading. It's wonderful. And so we paid her about $500 for those 50 earrings. So it was like $10, $10 a piece for that. And that's what she needed at that time. That's She needed to pay bills. She had her mortgage and just a bunch of stuff. And all of these social determinants were impacting her mental health. I'm loving that you're doing this for so many reasons. Uh, one of them is, I've seen in more developing countries this sort of program, and I haven't seen it in Canada. So it's it's nice to see that you know you, you it's piecework that you can fill. You get paid by the piece you produce, and and by doing that, you also supplement your income. So. I love that you're doing that. I'm curious, being that you work with people that have um, disabilities, mental health, or have suffered addiction, how do they know you exist? How, what outreach do you do to those communities so that they know there is an option to do piecework? Yeah, we're really trying to ramp that up right now. We're starting actually the last year and a bit, we're going through a rebranding. So that's been a challenge, but we have partnerships with other mental health organizations, right? And even with COVID, we had to slow down on those opportunities because 
all the retailers were closed, even if we made tons and tons and tons, would they sell, right? And just recently, we finally got uh, funding from Futurepreneurs and our woman enterprise in, in, in Winnipeg, which was really, really helpful. But again, there was a, a little bit of a traffic jam there because a social business is still a fairly new concept. Right. Maybe in the States or in other um, countries, it's more prominent. And we've heard of that term. Right. We know, I don't know if you, you know of like Muhammad Yunus. And right. Exactly. And I don't think Manitoba is a little bit behind on those trends. Typically, even asking for that funding and the business plan, that was a challenge for me. And for the first hand, I find I didn't do a business plan two years ago. It was just more so, hey, I have this vision. I have this plan. I need to test the waters a little bit. So it, so it was um, have kids volunteering 10 minutes of their time, beating these crystal intention bracelets. And in conjunction with that, we would host a pop-up yoga event. And at the end of the month, all these proceeds would be donated to these different local charities. So we do about... 12 a month. And it was so great walking into these schools because we would have this educational component where we ask the kids, hey, so if um, we make $20 per bracelet and you're going to take that $20 and take it into like Dollarama or like the dollar store, how many items can you buy? And it would be like, okay, 20 items, a dollar, that's 20 pieces, right? You can buy 20 items for $20. Then like, well, with 20 pieces, 20 different things, how many different people can you donate it to? And they're like, well, 20 people. And you should see that sparkle in their eye. They're like rushing into beating. They're like, oh my goodness. That means if I do, if I can make two bracelets, that's $40 or 40 people I can support. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it started from there and it snowballed. Um, then COVID happened. And supporting women with mental health addictions or who are incarcerated was always the original plan. And so this gave us the opportunity to step back, reflect, hey, let's revisit this and really starting to build the numbers, build that proposal, strategic planning, marketing, doing a little bit more research and really solidify, okay, we need projections. We need financials here. Like, bang, they want to see that because that was the tough part for a business. Top of mind is always money for a social business. Hey, I want to scale my business to create more jobs so other people can benefit, but not the art organization, like not I am love alone. Right. And I think that's the difference where what you don't want to make money. No, like I do. But our top top of mind for us, again, creating opportunities for women. This episode is sponsored by Make Your Contribution Count for You, Me, We, a book written by Suzanne F. Stevens. It's time to act. Let this book be your guide to having a sustainable social impact while living your most meaningful life. Thanks for listening. Now back to our show. So gave us a lot there. And <laughs> no, no, it's fabulous. I just want to re- I, I want to pick up some of the pieces, of, pieces apart because you answered sort of the question of how did you start this initiative. And the reality is you, you kind of didn't have a real big plan, but during pandemic, you took some time to, to create that plan and make it more thorough. I'm correct in saying that? Yes, absolutely. For so sure. Well, if you can give us one, two, maybe even three, if we could get them, three things that through this 
time of reflection and strategy, what are three things that now you will do based on knowing there's people are receptive to the idea, but now you need to amplify it? So what would be three key things that you're going to do to increase your customer and impact base? Oh, wow. Great question. I think the first one are um, when I come up with an idea, if there's a lot of resistance, that's the idea that I want to go for. That's the thing that I'm going to do. Because I think we tend to, we, we as humans, we think, oh, okay, that's too hard to do. I can't do that. But those are the things that we need to do. Even with the I Am Love project, I can tell you, no one, I had no support from family, no friends. Everyone was looking at me like, what? You're going to, don't you need money? Don't you want to make money? Like, why are you donating all your money every month to a charity? I kid you not. It was the worst year of my life, but those are the opportunities that I want to see. So I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. The second thing would be taking in all feedback, just doing something, getting some sort, whether if it's good or negative, but feedback is feedback. It's a channel of communication and you, you can process that information with everything that you do and really taking the time. I think we lack that in the beginning, the first year or so, like we would be doing events, but not really um, securing like the names of the database and doing surveys to follow up. What did you think of it? Because from that you can compile, you can strengthen your marketing message or even figuring out the demographics of your target market. Like, we talked about before that niche, right? What are people buying? What are they, what are their lifestyles? What do they enjoy? And you get all sorts of information like that. Are you a charity? Because you're incorporated. Another great question. So we are a for-profit social enterprise. That's what I thought. Okay. And that was the toughest decision ever because at the beginning, I refused to be nonprofit or a charity because I was supporting those organizations. And I thought to myself, well, that's, that's redundant to be a charity and then any grants, any funding, we would be competitors applying for the same thing. Like, okay, no, no way. I got to figure out something that really logistically makes sense here. But that's also the challenge because of the charitable status, because we, we are a for-profit social enterprise. There are a lot of funding that we can't get into. And because if we're a charity, we can't apply for a business loan because it's not for profit. So the only way to go was for profit. But also now that we're a for profit social enterprise, a lot of the like network social enterprise networks, they only take for they only take nonprofit organizations. So it's a it's a lonesome kind of journey for now. But now I get to like meet you and like hear about other people's stories and your your book. So I'm I'm gonna definitely pick that up and check it out. Oh well, th well thanks for that. That's that's just a, a promo advertising there. <laughs> so you now now this is really important, and I, I I feel like I almost have to have a, a fireside chat with you on that very astute comment that you just made. Is and one of the things I do talk about 
in the book is fighting for the same money where you're a, a nonprofit, you're a charity and you're all fighting for the same, same pool. I love, just so you know, not that this is important to you, but I love the fact that you made the decision to go as a social enterprise and a for-profit social enterprise because uh, non-for-profit social enterprises exist. To me, that's redundant. Uh, a for-profit social enterprise is a profitable business that is doing good, but the mission comes first and, and the profitability usually comes second, but there's not, nothing wrong with making income. So let's, let's dive into that a little more. How are you actually making money in your business? And are you yet? Um, yeah. Um, inception till now we've donated over $50,000. And that $50,000 would have been job opportunities. We break even. I wouldn't say we're making lots of money, but we break even. And this is where we needed that extra funding to scale up. And thank you for sharing that, Suzanne. I think that's really important where it's such a tough decision to make whether or not you want to be a for-profit or not-for-profit. And that funding, that fighting for the same funding, I see it every day with like charities and nonprofit organizations. It's like, oh my goodness, like why can we not come together? Let's be smart. Let's be clever. How can we work together so it's not overlapping of services, overlapping of um, programming and all that, um, being cost conscious and more effective. And it's, it's, it, again, it's been it's been a challenge, but I'm glad I'm glad I'm glad we made that decision. And I was just tired of begging for money, essentially, right? And like, nope, I'm gonna do this. We need to sustain ourselves. We are gonna create a product, and we will sell, and we will be self sufficient. It's all about yeah. numbers at the end of the day. It's still a business. That social component is that are that's our top of mind. Right. It's not the profit, how many millions we're bringing in, but how many job opportunities, how many people are we saving, how many people are in housing or how many children are fed today. That's that's our data. That's what we're measuring. Right. Yeah. You started this conversation with uh, from the first question, we all create purpose and and I. I have a different view of that. I, I do agree we all crave purpose, but not everything that has purpose gives us meaning. And I do see it I do see it differently. And meaning is when we impact others. And it does it does make us feel good, sure, but it's when we uplift the lives of others is what, what you're doing. The other thing you said, and I, I think I'm gonna send you after this interview, somebody else who went through the same situation that you did that I interviewed and has found a lot of conflict in where in the mental health space, uh, particularly amongst uh, they're working with indigenous communities where she's a for she's a social enterprise and she, the nonprofits didn't work nicely with her and they see this as competition and I'm about collaboration taking people's strengths and elevating them. Just as an aside to, again, support your decision is if we invested more money in social enterprises and people bought more from social enterprises, then in fact, they would be more sustainable than 
than nonprofits that rely on donations and government grants. And our, our money would go a lot further in the future. So yeah. I have to do the I have to do the plug. My goal is to make you feel better about your decision, but also to educate our audience that it's it is really important to non-for-profits, you know, they they do have a place. Yes. They do have a place. A lot of opportunities can be addressed through social enterprises and money is not a bad word only if it's received without integrity. So thank you for that. So I'm really glad you made you made that decision. So I kind of got to go back though, to that profitability piece, you're, you're breaking even, and you're a young company, so you know, 2018 and you got hit by the pandemic. No doubt, breaking even, congratulations, good for you. How do you see growing your business that in the peace business, what markup are you doing? And if you will, will you share what you pay per piece for the person actually doing the manufacturing? Is it a living wage? Oh, we need to provide fair wages. Yes, this is where it gets really cloudy with everything. Like we try to source items in Canada or locally in Manitoba. So for example, we have these clay earrings that we're working on. Those are not clay that we just bought from China that are pre-made. This I actually sourced from a local maker that makes clay earrings herself. And it was a collaboration. I just reached out to her. And that's why collaboration is super, super important. And I reached out to her, I'm like, hey, this is what I'm doing. I wanna be able to like source locally, but I also need it, I need it reasonable. Like the, the pricing needs to be good so we can self-sustain provide employment for women because so they can put it together and so like we've done that we bought clay she gets she she produces clay for us on a monthly basis of like different styles and fantastic and then we also support like i said before oh well i had this indigenous woman that that kind of again fell through the crafts was a little depressed didn't know what to do didn't have the money loved sewing and so we started to explore that idea all right tell me more wow what about sewing do you like well can you make this can you make that and finally we came to oh can you make scrunchies like, well, I'm coming out with the Mother's Day box and I would love to incorporate a scrunchie there. And so she kind of figured out the cost and whatnot. So she started making scrunchies for us. And I think it was about $500, just extra cash. I think to make it was about $250 with the material, with the thread. She had a sewing machine. You don't need a serger. And it was at her own pace when she had the ability to. And I think that's the pandemic has shown us that we can do things virtually. We can work remotely from home. Your boss does not need to see you every day and micromanage you. It's proven that over the last year and a half. And that's the thing with mental health too. We might not be able to sustain a full-time job depending on our health, but we can absolutely do a part-time job. And I think it's important for, again, organizations to educate themselves on how to reasonably accommodate individuals who are going through hardship, right? Those single mom, mental health, depression, anxiety. Don't just say it on that handbook, that welcome book, um, that you're gonna do X, Y, and Z and go exercise in that self-care. It's more than just words. It's really action and showing that you care because we can still perform regardless of our mental health, right? It's just at a slower pace. And it's working with individuals like that. 
And I love that you're doing this. I, I do think there is a, a huge opportunity for organizations to, to expand their models to incorporate people that may not be able to give full time. You had mentioned that you've, you've raised over $52,000 in fundraising. And you didn't mention that today, but in my research tells me that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in, in doing that, why did you go out and raise funds? What was that for? First question. Second question, will you continue to try to raise funds or will you rely on your ability to create a complete business and not rely on donors at all? And if not, why? So why did you get the funds in the first place? The funds for the first place was because that was how the business model was, right? It was fundraising through the bracelets, through a mind and body workshop. So we featured a an instructor and then a presenter, whether it's mental health, self-care, or how to build resiliency. It was like a package deal every month. So that was essentially the business model. And because of COVID, we pivoted from that fundraising first model into providing economic opportunities for women, right? Um, removing those barriers in the workplace, giving them that platform. Like I said, it part-time, it can be a contract basis. And we do, yes, giving back is a huge part of my life. It's a huge part of I Am Love. And even with our sister company that will be coming out um, later on, I think it's more so finding a way to do it, a different way to do it, right? Because we can't give fair wages to women and donate a big chunk because I can tell you the tickets for um, one of the yoga events were $20. $15 went to charity every month. So I was left with $5 per ticket. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you can do the calculation. And we had about 50 people that showed up every month. There wasn't much in there, but yeah. I really enjoyed it doing it. And I think I strayed away, I strayed off path when people kept on telling me, Hey, Amy, you know what? This is great that you're giving back. Like it's so commendable. You're doing a great job, but you need to figure out how you're going to make a living and sustain this. And so the last six months, like prior to COVID was, okay, how am I going to sustain this? I got to sell 60 tickets. I got to sell however many bracelets. And it was catching up to me. Sat back one day. I'm like, wait a minute. No, no, no. This is all wrong. Back to the purpose, back to the mission, back to our values. Who are we? It was never money first. It was about giving back first. And so that, that really clicked into me. And I, again, back to the whole business plan and really solidifying everything now that we had a first trial run of doing things. Now we can learn from those opportunities and really establish like a solid foundation. The irony to me of what you are saying is this, you were so focused on the giving that you ended up having to focus on the money more than the giving in order for you to get back to the giving, you had to make the money, which meant you had to change the model for sustainability. I think I've got that right. It's just another case of that, yes, 
you end up going to fundraising. It's all about fundraising and, and you know, how, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? But if your, your system's in place. And I do have a couple interviews I'm going to recommend for you that women have, have been in your shoes that I yeah. highlight in the book. And again, because you mentioned it in the book yeah. that have created similar models that you are going to use now and have been extremely successful with them. And I think you, you're dead on with the model you're going with. I really, oh, thank you. My, my gut is telling me that you're on the right track. How do you connect and engage with, with your beneficiaries or your, your, your contract employees, if you will? That's another challenge that we're experiencing. Like a lot of them don't want to be on websites, front, front page and just the pictures or even using the real name or the region. So we're trying to figure out a clever way or just like a fun way of how to how to feature them essentially because it's really hard to tell the story and to show people what you're doing without someone having to talk about it, you know? We need that face to that object all tied in together for that great impactful story. We're trying, but we do for XOXO, which is one of our sister companies, the jewelry that you purchase, there's actually code there. And then every month you'll get a update on how that person is doing, if they're recreating more jewelry in the future, or how that money is supporting them, um, et cetera. So we're, that, that's coming up for XOXO. And I can understand why people may not want there to be associated because of the, the nature of who you're connecting with or people in transition that don't just want to do the work. So I can understand why they may not want their name attached to something. Uh, that being said, I'll, I'm going to ask you the question slightly differently. So what sort of way do you keep engaging these, these contract workers so that they want to continue to work with you and for you and beside you? There's a lot of, I wouldn't say there's a lot of rotation. We don't want to impose and force anyone to do work that they don't want to do. Because even, even beyond I am love, I'm also, I was a, a certified peer supporter too. Uh, giving them the power to voice, the power to decipher or decide what they want to do, right? You want to, you, if you want that extra $200 or $300, you reach out to the us. You need to put in the work. It's not a self-help organization, right? You need to, we need to start amplifying our voice and feeling confident and feeling good about ourselves. You're empowering them to, to decide whether they want to work with you or not. Did you start the business that way or did it evolve to that? It evolved to that. It evolved to that. Top of mind when this, really um, was a little seed in my head. It was about mental health and suicide. And then it stemmed from, oh, maybe that's a little bit too much. So again, those limiting beliefs that I had, I'm like, okay, well, it needs to be more broad. And that's why in the beginning I talked about, no, we need to figure, like niche market. I was too broad. And so through exploration, through like actually doing, putting in the work and not caring what people thought or saying, we're at this point right now, right? 
helping women specifically. It does not have to be full-time, does not have to be part-time. It can be um, subcontracted out, project-based, making 20, making 30, whatever you need essentially at the moment, right? What have been the two most challenging hurdles to sustain your social impact? The financial was a huge part and making those connections. You know how we were talking about before, the nonprofits or non-charitable status, we don't like to play in the same pool. So finding those connections was really challenging, although we, I had a lot of support, individual support, um, businesses, donation-wise, those ones were good. But when it came to partnerships, that was a little bit more challenge. The charitable world is really, I would say, dog eat dog in a sense, right? They're all going through the same funding. But again, at the end of the day, it's the same thing. It's just a different transaction that we're doing, right? Businesses, again, selling a service or a product, uh, charities, you're still asking for that money. That's still revenue. And us, like the social business, it's a collaboration of both pieces. I'm, I'm going to make my own money by selling a service so I can donate back into the community. Well, right. is it donate back into the community or earn back into the community? Oh, or earn back. Well, we, we do a little bit half and a little bit of both. So okay. earn back and donate. Yes. So what do you see as three most important initiatives to make your social impact sustainable? My lawyer, <laughs> my accountant and our sales team. Those ones were the hardest because they're, they cost a lot of money, but having that legal advice, having those secure contracts from a lawyer, fresh air for me. And then just the accountant to run the numbers to make sure that you're on track to hold you accountable. Again, that was such a benefit, such a benefit. So, what do you see as the biggest opportunity for your business? The insurance policy part, the premiums for insurance. I was quoted about 20, what, no, $2,000 a month to employ those with mental health, addictions, um, disabilities. The premiums significantly go up because ultimately what I want is to have a hub downtown where people can just walk in. If you're looking for an extra $20, hey, can you maybe package these boxes and mail them out and you earn $20, that kind of thing. And so they quoted me the $2,000 a month. So again, it's like those little things, but you won't learn it until you really get into it. So the opportunity really is for an insurance company. I think that's actually a really interesting perspective because if you're trying to uplift the lives of people that that have had challenges or in transition and yet there's so many barriers and costs to actually do that that i don't think a lot of people need to think about so i think that's a, a really good uh, unfortunate scenario but an opportunity for insurance companies to also acknowledge the opportunity there which is great now your business does it provide you with meaning does it provide me with meaning? Yes. 100% every single day. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, great.
So we're just gonna ask you some quick fire questions. All right, no passing. First thought, best thought. We'll no passing, got it. No, you can pass. If, if you want to pass, you can pass, but okay. give it a shot. So they're just, they're just short answers and then we'll wrap up for the day. What is one thing you wish you knew prior to engaging down this path? Vulnerability. Best piece of advice you've ever received? Have the courage to do it. Which of your strengths do you rely on most to have the success you have achieved? Courage. Besides your beneficiary, which beneficiary do you think needs the most investment of time, research, and money? Kids. Now, I believe you have, I'm not sure, do you have a daughter or a son? Daughter. Daughter. How old is she? Ten. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. My question happens to be, what advice would you give to your 10-year-old daughter? Explore as much as you need to. What three values do you live by? Conviction, love, intention. Wonderful. I'm going to come back to you with one more question, Amy, but I want to thank everyone, including you, for joining us. And thank you for those of you who came and joined us live. And of course, you can see the recording at wisdomexchangetv.com. Amy Tung, and she has an exclusive page with her profile and video and also a podcast. So you can also listen or watch. You can subscribe to Wisdom Exchange TV so you receive each new interview notification in your inbox. Please share the interview by going to the share buttons located on the page. The interview, as I mentioned, is podcast and video, so whatever you prefer. And if you know someone who has had a significant social impact in business, education, civic service, or advocacy, let us know. Visit our guest tab on wisdomexchangetv.com and submit information. Our research team will take it from there. Now, do you want to live your most meaningful life? I Join do. You do? Gosh, I do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to hear that. So Amy's going to be joining the YouMeWe community, Women Driving Social Impact. So visit us at youmewe.ca to access diverse resources to guide you. And we just ran a five-part panel series that we also will be there. Um, There's $125, but as a member, you get those things for free, plus webinars and events, all kinds of resources if you want to have a social impact. So I'm going to turn it back to Amy and put her on the spot. Do you have any words of wisdom, Amy, for our audience regarding making a conscious contribution to society? Yeah, I think we need to encourage each other to do things that are bold, to have the courage to do things that are bold, and to put on that exploration hat and think about different opportunities and not feel like we're not good enough to do something or we have the limited resources or capacity to do something. Oh, I love that. As an adventurer, I really appreciate putting on the adventure hat and the, I like to put on my backpack and, and go for it. So thank you so much for your words of wisdom. Thank you everyone for joining us. Until next time, make your contribution count for you, me, we. This episode is sponsored by Make Your Contribution Count, or You, Me, We, a book written by Suzanne F. Stevens. It's time to act. 
Let this book be your guide to having a sustainable social impact while living your most meaningful life. Thanks for listening. Watch, listen, or read interviews with conscious contribution leaders who are having a social impact on our communities and beyond. WisdomExchangeTV.com